If you came here early tonight, you could have had part of Stephen's dinner. He had plenty of leftover, <laughs> offered it to me, but... Well, good evening again. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Jeremiah, we are in chapter 38 this evening, and we should be able to get uh, three chapters done tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Stephen, now full from dinner, will uh, pass out Bibles for you if you need a Bible. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) They might be spicy Bibles, because he's probably got hot sauce on it. Well, as you're turning to Jeremiah 38, a couple of things to be praying about. Uh, the women's retreat's coming up this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and just really praying that the Lord blesses these ladies and speaks to their hearts and just really moves in a mighty way there, and, and uh, it'll just be a great time for them. And then we need to pray for those affected by the, the storms last night. You know, I'm watching where everything's going, and I, go, I know people who live there, I know people who live right around there, and then I'm thinking, oh, no, and start texting people, are you doing okay, are you doing all right, and... Um, seems like all of you guys managed okay last night. Otherwise, you'd probably let me know that you don't have a house to go home to. But um, uh, we just need to be praying for those folks that, that have lost their houses and, and uh, uh, or at least had severe damage done to them. So we'll go and pray for those things, and we'll also pray for our study tonight as we start in Jeremiah 38. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we can have to gather together as your church And to pray, Lord, to seek your face, to open your word, knowing, Lord, that your desire is to speak to our hearts. We praise you that you are such a great and awesome and powerful God, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we we praise you that for all that you do in our lives. But, Lord, we want to lift up right now those affected by the tornado, those that perhaps have lost homes or part of their homes. Uh, Lord, just give them peace, Lord. Uh, Pray, Father, that... uh, if there's any way we can help and be of assistance, we, we would see that, Lord. And I just pray for uh, you just to use this to bring you glory, Lord. We also pray for the woman's retreat, Father, just your blessing upon the teacher. She's uh, flying out and, and the study you've given her to share for the ladies. And about all the ladies just preparing to go, Lord, help the enemy to not come in and discourage them, Lord, but help them to encourage them and to, to take the step to this retreat, knowing, Lord, that you're going to speak to their hearts and bless them. And now, bless our time, Lord, as we look at uh, the life of Jeremiah and, and uh, just the weeping prophet, Lord, as he's become to known, been known to, as he became known as, Lord. And just pray, Father, that you'd bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah was really an amazing man. And you think about the calling that he had on his life way back in chapter 1. Where the Lord said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations, in verse 5 there. And that he was. He was a mighty prophet uh, for God. But as a result, that made him a very unpopular prophet with the Jews of his day. Even with Babylon at the door, and all that Jeremiah prophesied would, would happen, uh, would be happening, uh, is on the verge of happening, the princes and the leaders, they're still trying to silence Jeremiah. It's like they have their fingers in their ears and go, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Jeremiah said, listen, listen, it's going to happen. And now they're coming, the Babylon's coming to the door and they're still saying, I don't want to hear. So chapter 1 starts out, look at verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of 
Shalemiah and Pashur, the son of Nakiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people. So these, these are the men who made up Zedekiah's cabinet. They were a pro-Egyptian uh, party. Though Jeremiah had warned the Jews that Babylon would overthrow Jerusalem, there, there were people in the king's court who wanted to solicit, solicit the help from Egypt, uh, thought that Egypt would help and help defend against the Babylonians and, and they could actually defeat Babylon. Well, what was Jeremiah's response? The same thing it's always been. Look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord, He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hands of, king, of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Now, not the politically correct thing to say at that time. I mean, he's predicting that the home team is going to lose. And, and, and he's been saying it for 38 chapters over and over again. Surrender because judgment is coming. Surrender because judgment is coming. And, 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 and live. And Jeremiah's really been getting on their nerves over and over again. So verse 4, Therefore the princess said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. You know, they, they're not listening. And all they do is they look at Jeremiah as a traitor. And then, oh, he's discouraging us from, from, from people from fighting for Jerusalem. But Jeremiah had already told them, have faith in God. Believe in him that, that, that if you went out and over the Chaldeans, you would live. If you fought, you would die. Faith or fight. Those were the choices. If fight was what they wanted, then Jeremiah needed to be silent. So, verse 5 then Zedekiah, the king, said, Look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. Really? I mean, this is, this is a punches pilot moment for Zedekiah. I mean, he knew it would be wrong to kill Jeremiah, but he tried to, to wash his hands. Of, oh, I got no power over these princes. I think the punches pilot moments can come in all of our lives. There are times when we must say and do what is right despite the real or perceived consequences of it. Zedekiah could have easily said no, but he caved into the, into the fear of man and, and said, take Jeremiah, do as you please, verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Nakai, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. So they arrest Jeremiah, they, they drop him in a dungeon, but this wasn't in any old dungeon. I and mean, this probably was an old cistern, a, a water reservoir full of just gross sludge and, 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 and muck and, and slime. And, and the built up of mud had really made it unusable. And, and, and so imagine that this, this man of God, I mean, he's going down in this and he's kind of trying to stay afloat in this deep, thick, crawling, suffocating sludge. And it's all in his hair and it's in his eyes and in his arms and just engulfed him. Certainly it would have given him a, 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 a claustrophobic feeling. And then this mire, it also stunk above all of that. Gave off toxic, toxic gases that would disorient him. I mean, it would be like you and I diving into a septic tank. That's what it would be like. Plus no light. I mean, the place stunk. In fact, in Jeremiah's other book, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 53, he mentions that rocks were even thrown at him while he was down inside that pit. And cold. I mean, before he would starve to death, he would have died of hypothermia. The temperature in, in a subterranean cave is about 57 degrees. You, you die in water around 75 degrees. 
So Jeremiah's wrinkled body would be shaking and numb, buried in this cold slime. And, and, and really the king himself had consented to it and, and powerful princesses carried out. It was as hopeless of a situation as you can imagine. On top of that, Jeremiah's in his 60s at this time. I mean, what a way to spend your retirement years. And yet God was teaching Jeremiah endurance and great dependence upon him and keeping his eyes on him. And yet with all this going on, we don't read once of Jeremiah complaining about it. We don't read him complaining about it. Even though his body was sinking in the mire, his spirit was soaring in the heavens. And he had learned what Paul had learned in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And as a result of, of his faithfulness, God sends him some help. Look at verse 7. Now, Ebed Malak, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed Malak went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there's no more bread in the city. The, the name, the word Ebed Malak means servant of the king. It's really not, not a name, it's a title. And this, was, this man was one of the king's representatives. Jeremiah may not have even known him at all. Meaning that the one source of help that God would provide, that would, God would raise up for Jeremiah, was someone known only to the Lord. You know, when, when God helps us in the pits of life, often it's not how we expect it, but it's always better than we expect. Maybe some of you can imagine sort of what it's like if maybe you've been in the pits lately. Saying, this, this is the pits, which I'm going through. Not literally, but, but personally, emotionally, maybe spiritually. Some of you may be in a pit right now and you're going, this is awful, I see no way out. Listen, you have the same two choices that Jeremiah had, faith or, or fight. I think we're, we're prone to fight, to thinking that no help is coming, so we, we must, we've got to help ourselves. That's not in the Bible. Christians tend to believe, oh, God helps those who help themselves. You don't find that in the Bible. What you find is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God's help is always available by faith. I mean, think of others who were in the pits of sorts. Daniel was thrown into kind of a pit, you know, kind of the den of lions. He survived the night with God's ever-present help. Before Daniel was thrown into the pit, you know, he had three friends who were thrown into Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. They emerged without burns, and they didn't even smell smoke heat. That's because a fourth person was walking around with them in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, looks like the Son of God, who we know is Jesus Christ. The psalmist knew God was with him in his pit when he wrote this in Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. God will do the same thing for you no matter how deep the pit is and, and just put your faith in him. Quit trying to fight it alone. Quit trying to go it alone. We see here that God uh, comes to his rescue. Look at verse 10. Then the king commanded ebed Malak the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So ebed Malak took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and then rolled rags and, and let them down by the ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. 
I love that Ebed Melech not only had Jeremiah pulled out of this, this miry pit, he did it with compassion. He's going, man, Jeremiah's, man, he's, he's got to be, I mean, in bad, bad shape. And, 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 and rope is going to just burn under his armpits. And so, so he says, man, I need to get some clothes and I need to, to make this easy for him. Now again, Ibn Melech isn't the guy's name. He's anonymous. We don't really know his name other than he's, Ibn Melech means servant of the king. In the same way, God has a lot of servants that he can dispatch uh, to you in the pit that you find yourself in maybe this evening. And, and even when we don't see a way out, God does see a way out. God can send you a person like this Ethiopian here, or he can send you his angel like he did for Daniel, or he can send you, uh, manifest himself to you like he did for Daniel's three friends. I think we can miss the fact that God always sends his most powerful servant, and that is his grace. His grace. Grace is God's uh, enabling power that sustains us in and through all things that we go through. There's no pit that can possibly exhaust the grace of God. And remember this, God can rescue you from the pit or through the pit. When our pits are personal, emotional, spiritual pits, it's most likely God rescues us through them, meaning that we we must endure them. But we don't endure them without his help. I mean, what we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation, no trial is overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted to go through this trial uh, beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, provide a way for your escape that you'll be able to endure it. When we get mirrored down and in the pits, God sends our Eben Melech, the Holy Spirit, who is also a servant of the King. He's a comforter, as Jesus promised, would send. You know, whenever the, the Holy Spirit is seen typo, typologically in the Scriptures, it's always as, as an unnamed servant. And the servant of the king knows how to gently and compassionately lift his servants out of the pit. I think oftentimes, our Ebed Malik, our the Holy Spirit, uses the help of human hands for one another. And we, we see here that there was 30 men that helped get Jeremiah out. And, and here, you know, our 30 men, you know, in verse 10, it would be the church helping one another. Huge reason why we gather together as a church, to lift one another up, to pray one another, to help pull each other out of the pits. God likes to use God's people to pull God's servants out of a miry place. Now verse 14. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Again, Zedekiah is seeking Jeremiah for guidance from God, and at first you go, okay, this might be commendable, you know, he, he may be really seeking the Lord, and then you realize, you peel back the king's motives. He goes back to, to Jeremiah, not because he wants to obey, but he hopes God has changed Jeremiah's mind. The God has come around now to Zedekiah's way of thinking. Zedekiah wants God to accommodate him, but, but Jeremiah is on to him. Look at verse 15. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice... You will not listen to me. He says, what's the point? If I tell you the truth, you're going to put me to death. And if you don't put me to death, then you're not going to listen to me. Verse 16. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you to the hand of these men who seek your life. No, you already did it once before. Verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord of the God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. 
the city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. Again, God's simple word to King Zedekiah, surrender and live, resist and die. Clear choice, not difficult to understand. You know, Zedekiah didn't go, well, can I have someone else, a different interpretation of the word of the Lord? Do you have a different version of that that I, that I need to understand? People often argue that the Bible is unclear, that, that, that it's a subject to any number of interpretations. It's simply not true. I think the most beloved and well-known verses of all time in the Bible, both believers and non-believers know. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nothing complicated about that. Pretty easy, pretty straightforward. There's no need for interpretation. Youngest child can act upon it and understand it, and you either believe Him and you're saved, and you don't and you perish. Surrender your life to Him and live, or resist and die. Got simple words to King Zedekiah. Surrender, live, or resist and die. Verse 19. And Zedekiah, Zedekiah, I'm messing up his name tonight. Zedekiah, the king, said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. So his unbelief is because of his fear of man. And that's a big one for a lot of people. They're afraid of how others will react if if they follow Jesus Christ. They're afraid of losing face or losing relationships. Listen, you, you might lose face with men, but you'll be looking right into the face of the Lord. You might lose relationships with some people, but in your relationship with Jesus, you, came to, you, you gained this enormous family of, of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all of history, past and present. Zedekiah was, was fearful of the Jews already in captivity in Babylon and what they might do to him if he chooses to obey the Lord. Verse 20, but Jeremiah said, hey, they shall not deliver you. Please. I mean, he's begging, please obey the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. And it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's, Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mirror and they have turned away again. Listen to verse 22 in the New Living Translation. And all the women left in your palace will be, will be brought out and given to the officers of the Babylonian army. Then the woman will taunt you, saying, What fine friends you have. They betrayed and misled you. When your feet sank in the mud, they left you to your fate. When Jeremiah sunk in the mud, a friend came to his rescue. Here, Zedekiah, because he would refuse to surrender, would sink in the mud of Babylon. And those who claimed to be his friends split the scene. They wouldn't help him out. In fact, they were the ones partially to blame in getting him into this mess in the first place. That's because enemies, you know, will throw each other into the pit. There's no, no loyalty. But true friends help each other out of that miry clay. Maybe you know someone that needs help out of the pits. I've always liked this illustration. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person walked by and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall in the pits. A mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. 
An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A fire and brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. A psychologist noted, your mother and father are to blame for you being in that pit. Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. Jesus is our friend. He sticks closer than a brother. Takes us out of the miry clay again. Sets our feet upon solid rock. So Jeremiah tells Zedekiah, it's not going to be good if you resist what God is doing. He goes on to verse 23. So so they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. And you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. He's telling Zedekiah, it's all because you're rebelling against the Lord that this is going to happen to you. Verse 24. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Well, let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, and they come to you and say to you, Declare to us now what you have said to the king, and also what the king said to you. Do not hide it from us, and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king, and that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all that these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Zedekiah doesn't go, man, I need to stop. I need to turn the other direction. I need to repent. I need to turn to God. I need to surrender. No, he says, let no one know that we have this conversation. Let's keep this a secret. Now, Jeremiah, you know, he honored the king's request for secrecy for some point, but eventually he leaked the conversation because we're reading about it right here. But Jeremiah wanted everyone to know it's rebellion to God that destroyed Jerusalem. And finally, the chapter closes out in verse 28. Now, Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Now, I read these accounts of Zedekiah, and and I I can't help but think that that there was part of him inside that wanted to do what was right. I mean, why else would he keep sending messengers to Jeremiah to find out what God had to say? Yet he had all derailed in his life because he had just had fear of, of people, fear of what, what the crowd was going to say, fear of what people looked at him and the way he was, fear of his leaders and, and made him give in and allow Jeremiah to be thrown into this pit. I, I mean, his fear of the people in captivity kept him from surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar and sparing the city. Knew the right thing to do, but he was afraid to do it. And fear can cause us to do some strange things. You know, we, we, we seek to please people because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't. When we really should look to fear the Lord and please the Lord, then you won't have fear of people. Like the story I, I heard of a boss that returned from lunch in a good mood and called the whole staff to listen to a couple of his jokes that he picked up. And everybody, everybody but one girl laughed uh, hilariously. What's the matter, grumbled the boss. Haven't you got a sense of humor? She said, I don't have to laugh. Friday's my last day. When you're always doing things to please other people, you're setting yourself up for trouble. Especially if the people that you're trying to please want you to do the wrong thing. Remember who is really worth fearing. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God has that power to send someone to hell. If we understand what it is to fear him, then we can put our, our fear of people into perspective. God is the one that we need to be pleasing, not people. Okay, chapter 39. Jeremiah's warnings finally become reality. Look at verse 1. 
In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. For years, Jeremiah had been saying and pleading with the Jews that judgment was just around the corner. Surrender. Yet they refused to believe it. They kept thinking that the Egyptians were going to rise and, and to the rescue. But because God's people were not broken before God, they were broken by men. And now this, this huge Babylonian army is storming the streets of Jerusalem. Angry, bloodthirsty troops are going from house to house, killing and raping and looting. And, and the, the Jews' worst nightmare has now become the reality. The siege lasted for 18 months. It began in the ninth year of Zedekiah in the tenth month. The walls were finally breached in the eleventh year, fourth month on the ninth day. In fact, the exact date is given. Our, our calendar, the infamous day, is July 18, 586 B.C. The fall of Jerusalem began on that date. Such an important date in Scripture that it's recorded five times. 2 Kings 5, 25, 1 and 2, 2 Chronicles 36, Ezekiel 24, Jeremiah 52, and of course right here. Jeremiah's ministry started in 627 B.C., the 13th year of King Josiah, according to Jeremiah 1, verse 2. And, and much of that time, Jeremiah had been warning over and over again that the day of destruction has come. He warned them for 41 years. Now it finally happened. And I think for many of us, we've been warning people for many, many years, Jesus is coming, Jesus, judgment is coming, Jesus is coming back. Maybe some of you, it's been 41 years. I'm right at 40 years this, this year, but... but uh, uh, you know, like Jeremiah, but we, we've gotten the same response many times. Same response that the kings in, of, of Judah gave to Jeremiah. Oh, we've been hearing that for a long time. Yeah, right, it's not going to happen. Peter tells us this in Second Peter 3, verses 3 through 9, that would happen. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the word that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see the same scenario between Jeremiah and the people there and, and now the people that we live around and live with. And people mock us and say, Oh, you've been claiming that Jesus is coming back for years, that things are going just the way they've always been going. You can say, well, you're, you, by saying that, you're actually fulfilling what the Bible says of prophecy. Even more proof that Jesus is going to return. Peter says in the last days they will be saying it more and more. Where is the promise of his coming? Same kind of mindset that people in Jeremiah's day had. But then it happened. Jerusalem was overthrown. And it will happen. Jesus will return. Our part is to be looking and hastening the return of Jesus to the Lord. You know, we shouldn't just think that the Lord could come back at any moment. We should live as though the Lord could come back at any moment. I mean, what if you knew Jesus was going to come back in three years from now? now I'm not making any predictions. Pastor Tom said Jesus is coming back in three years. So don't, don't write that down. But what if you knew that Jesus could come back in three years? Would you live your life any differently than you're living it right now? And maybe we should make those changes now. Verse 3. 
Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, Nergal Sherezer. Now this guy is known as uh, is known as Nergal the son of Nebuchadnezzar, son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he'd be one of the rulers in Babylon from 560 B.C. to 556 B.C. Then in verse 3, these other guys, uh, Sammy, Sari, Rabbi, Nergal, <laughs> Rabmag, with the rest of the princes and the king of Babylon. Verse 4, So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, that they fled and went out of the city by night, by way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls, and he went out by the way of the plain. It's been suggested that Zedekiah was trying to get across the Jordan River into the land of the Ammonites, hopefully to find safety there, but verse 5, But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. We know that according to Second Chronicles 36.11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign as king. Reigned for 11 years. So he's about 32 years old right now. So he's relatively uh, a young man, and he's brought in, and before his eyes, they're killing his sons. Now, if you're 32 years old, I, I don't know how old it was when they started having children, but we're talking, you know, these kids weren't that old. These boys weren't that old. And it's just a horrific thing that's going on here, you know. Now, I read, according to the Book of Mormon, that Zedekiah's son, Mulek, escaped death and traveled across the ocean to the Americas, where he founded uh, a nation, the Mulekites, which later emerged with another Israelite splinter group called the Nephites, which is all foolishites. <laughs> Ridiculous. But God's word says in verse 6, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. He killed them. Killed them all. What a tragic end of Zedekiah. The last thing that Zedekiah saw was his sons put to death. And all of this could have been averted. Jeremiah said, if you just surrender, your family would be saved. And the man would not hearken to the word of the Lord. He was rebelling against God's warning. And so what God said would happen, happened. What a warning to us as fathers not to neglect listening to the Lord and being an example to our our children of the Lord and leading our children in the ways of the Lord. Now there's an interesting prophecy concerning Zedekiah in Ezekiel 12, verse 13, which says, I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Well, I mean, the prophecy was fulfilled. He went to Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar had put his eyes out, so he never actually saw it. Verse 8, And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So only the poor people were left in the land. They're they're not likely to cause trouble. They would keep the land from becoming overrun with, with wild animals. And because they were given these vineyards and these fields, I mean, the thought is that they would be loyal to Babylon because now, man, they hit the jackpot. Man, look what we got. Verse 11. Then Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, 
Take him and look after him and do him no harm, but do to him just as he says to you. This is great. I love that. Finally, Jeremiah gets ministered to. Now, what's interesting to me is that, that Nebuchadnezzar knew of Jeremiah. Maybe Daniel gave him some information about him. Maybe he had some spies in the land and, and, and heard him, you know, uh, preach uh, defect. Maybe Daniel showed the King Jeremiah's writings where he actually called Nebuchadnezzar servant of Yahweh. However it happened, Nebuchadnezzar recognized Jeremiah as, as an ally. But in reality, Jeremiah was no friend of Babylon or to anyone other than God. In fact, in chapters 50 and 51, when we get there, Jeremiah will speak sweltering judgments against Babylon. Jeremiah is only on one side, and that's God's side. But it's encouraging to see that finally Jeremiah was rewarded with some mercy for his years of faithfulness to God. Look at verse 13. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar and Rapsaris, Nergal, Sharizi, Rabbag, and all the kings of Babylon's chief officers, and they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. So after a lifetime of sacrificial, sacrificial service to God, Jeremiah gets to go home. Meanwhile, verse 15 the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now remember this guy? He's the guy that pulled Jeremiah out of the, the miry clay, out of, out of the pit. The Lord says to him, Behold, I will bring my words upon the city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the man of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a price you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. I love that. Ebed-Melech was rewarded for his faithfulness to God just as well. Listen, God sees and God remembers every act of kindness that we do for each other. Jesus put it this way, Matthew ten forty two, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Ibn Melech was another example, like Jeremiah, of a, of a guy who did, did not allow his fear of people just to, to, to keep him from doing what is right. And as a result, he, he received protection from God during the fall of Jerusalem. Okay, chapter 40. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar and the captain of the guard had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him bound and chained among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah who were carried away captive to Babylon. Now in chapter 39, after he was rescued from the king's prison, Jeremiah was set free and taken home. So why do we read now, chapter 40, that he's bound in chains? I mean, he's chained with the rest of the Jews in Ramah. Now one commentator brought up an emotional, extra-biblical story told by the Jewish rabbis about how when Jeremiah saw his fellow Jews shackled, he voluntarily chained himself up to them to show them his love for them. He'd been bound to the Jews spiritually for 40 years. He had suffered for them and he would continue to do so as they were taken into exile. I mean, this is the same kind of love that voluntarily bound Jesus to the cross. He suffered with us and ultimately for us. Verse 2. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. Now I mean, this is coming out of a, a pagan mouth of, of a Babylonian. Jeremiah is reminded of the truth. And now it's possible 
that maybe due to the influence of Daniel and Ezekiel, that the Babylonians had a greater grasp of God's truth than the Jews did at Jerusalem at that time. He goes on in verse 4. And now look, I free you this day from the chains that are on your hand. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you. Wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Now, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, Go back to Galiliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. Just this incredible act of kindness. I mean, basically, the Babylonians are offering to set Jeremiah up for life. He can move to Babylon if he wants. He can stay in Judah. He can take any parcel he wants. Whatever Jeremiah chooses, it's all up to him. But notice what Jeremiah does. Verse 6. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Iachem, the Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. He chooses to stay with his people. And remember, these were the poorest of the people. Jeremiah, man, he could have gone out and hung out with the Babylonian elites. He could have moved into a condo in the Euphrates, driven his Mercedes turbo chariot, you know, and had a good time. He could have entertained important people for the rest of his life. But instead, he identified with the leftovers. He identified with the lowest. This was Jeremiah's heart. He cared more for loyalty than luxury, for God's people than for the popular people. I can't help but picture Jesus and Jeremiah. We, we see the same thing in Philippians 2.6. Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus left the throne room of heaven to dwell with sinful man. Verse 7. When all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Iachim, governor of the land, and had committed to him men, women, and children, and the poorest of the land who had not been carried away captive to Babylon, then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, and Jonathan, the son of Kariah, Shariah, the son of Tenhumeth, the son of Ephi, the Nethophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Nathathite, they and their men. So Judah is now a Babylonian province, and the king set up a governor, a Jew named Gedaliah, and, and made his capital city of Mizpah, eight miles north of Jerusalem. These, were, were, these men were a paramilitary group who had been hiding while the city was surrounded. They may have waged a guerrilla war, but now they come out of hiding and they join Gedaliah. Verse 9, Then Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men, saying, do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you, gather wine and summer fruit and oil, put them in your vessels, and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab, among the Ammonites in Edom, and who were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah, and that he had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven, and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. So the Jews had, had fleed Judah as refugees from the Babylonian invasion. They're now returning. This means that three groups of people now occupy the land. You have first the poor, second these guerrilla fighters, and now the refugees who fled are now returning. Verse 13. 
Moreover, Johan and the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Do you certainly know that Balas, the king of Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? Now, the, the Ammonites and the Israelites had a long history of hostility, and King Balas didn't want the Jews to re, refortify and reassemble, so he hires a hitman named Ishmael to assassinate Gedaliah. But verse 14 but Gedaliah, the son of Eichim, did not believe them. Now, when you've got a guy named Ishmael wanting to assassinate you, you probably should take it seriously. should have believed him. Look at verse 15. Johan and the son of Kareah spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mizpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews who were gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim said to Johanan, the son of Korea, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. Gedaliah was nice, but he was naive. He couldn't believe that anyone would want to harm him. And again, he should have had a clue that, was, that what Johanan said was true, because throughout Scripture, the name Ishmael always is linked to the flesh. Now, we won't get into it in chapter 41 tonight, but, but just look at verse 2 of chapter 41. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him, arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, with a sword, and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. You know, when you are tempted to give into your flesh, into your Ishmael, don't be deceived. Ishmael is out to get you. Your flesh is out to destroy you. You can't play around with the flesh and not suffer some consequences. That's why Paul tells us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. In other words, don't be gullible to the temptations that are out there. They're out there to destroy you. We need to be on the offensive. Destroy them first. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Make no provisions for the flesh. And may God help us to heed the word of God and to the warnings of God. I think we closed with this last time. Jesus said in Revelation 2, 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God give us the ears to hear and a heart that will respond to the Lord. Okay, chapter 41 next time. We're almost done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. These chapters that we covered, Lord, as we see, Lord, those that put their faith in you have nothing to fear. Those that trust you, Lord, will find deliverance and safety. Lord, no matter what pit we may be down in, Lord, we know that you are aware of exactly where we're at, Lord. And you have the right help at the right time and the right purpose. And we thank you ahead of time of that, Lord. No matter what trial we go through, Lord, you're aware of it, Lord. No matter how hot it gets, Lord, your hand is on the thermostat. And you know what we need. And we thank you for that, God. Help us not to be discouraged. Help us to just trust in you, Lord. Help us as, as your servants, Lord, to be like this servant here, Lord, that came and helped Jeremiah. To look at the needs of others around us, Lord, more than the needs of ourselves and seeing how we can be a blessing and a help to others. Lord, I thank you for this church, for these people, their love for you, their love for your word. Bless them, I pray. Bless us, we pray, as we go our way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.